What's up, everyone? My name is Ryan Chan. Welcome to the Show Up and Show Out podcast. We're here to help you show up and show out to your next function, where we talk about anything from sports, entertainment, world culture, you name it. We're here to help you out. Let's get it. What's going on, everyone? Show up, show out, nation. It's your boy, Ryan Chan. I'm back with episode number two. First off, just want to say thank you to all for the support, and thank you all to listen to episode number one on my Mount Rushmore of Athletes and my Super Bowl LVI review. I had an absolute blast re- recording that episode, and um, you know, it was, I think, something that, again, was uniquely me and was something that I think helped break the ice between me and my listeners. So thank you again for taking the time to do so. And if you haven't already, go check it out. Um, That's the inaugural pilot episode of uh, Show Up and Show Out. Shifting gears here to episode number two. Uh, Today, we're going to talk a little bit about sound. So that sounds, no pun intended. So sound, when I say sound, obviously that sounds pretty vague. But what I'm trying to say is the history of sound and, and what I'm trying to explore today is really the history of the sound, the origins of how sound works and essentially like how sound is recorded and engineered. Later on, we'll dive a little more into uh, kind of more of the, the to the culture, to the streets kind of thing, because obviously my show is about keeping your ears, ears to the streets. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about producer tags, some of my favorite producers in the industry currently, as well as um, just a little bit more about my unique experience with sound producing and FL Studio and all that fun stuff. So strap in here. So as you probably know by now, after listening to episode one and listening to a few of the beats you hear on the show, and again, I gave my boy T-Dollars his flowers the other day. Uh, T-Block Music Group is back on the map strong. I love hip-hop music. I love trap music. And I love just the idea of like sound engineering in general. I think it's such a unique and fascinating industry to kind of look into. And something that I think is just so cool and growing as technology improves and and whatnot and so let's dive a little bit into just the history of sound recording in general according to wikipedia and say what you want about wikipedia obviously in academia wikipedia is kind of looked down on as and i mean it's true to a degree it's an imperfect research tool that can be used but we're not getting graded on a curve here on the show up and show out podcast we're not getting graded or anything like that this is purely for fun and for conversation The history of sound recording, according to Wikipedia, which has progressed in waves driven by the invention and commercial introduction of new technologies, can be roughly divided into four main periods. There is the acoustic era from 1877 to 1925. There is the electrical era from 1925 to 1945. The magnetic era from 1945 to 1975. And where we are currently today from 1975 onwards is what's called the digital era. So looking into the acoustic era, um, I mean, acoustics are still around to this day when you hear, you always hear people talking about like acoustics and obviously there's the acoustic guitar, stuff like that. But the acoustic era started as such. It was the earliest practical recording technology that was an entirely mechanical device. So basically how this worked was acoustics were basically used as recorders on basically like a large horn to collect and focus the physical air pressure of the sound and waves produced by the human voice or musical instruments. And I'm just quoting Wikipedia here. 
Acoustic sound recording has its limitations. The most relevant being low fidelity. So when I mean like low fidelity, it basically means like low quality sound. The sound can be kind of hard to record. It's just there's limitations there and difficulties with the lack of technology back then. Obviously, this was back in, you know, the 1800s or whatever time period. It was definitely something that today would be a lot easier to do. But, you know, it forced basically it forced recorders to adapt to their limitations. Acoustics forced recorders to essentially adjust or adapt or as they say, adapt or die. As a side note, adapt or die. That's one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. If anyone knows me, one of my favorite movies is Moneyball, and one of the, um, there's a specific quote in that movie, and scene in that movie that where basically, it discusses the importance of adaptation, in modern society, in society, just in life in general, and that's something I try to live by is just being adaptable. So I just got all philosophical for a second, but figured I had to point that in because Moneyball is again one of my favorite films. But anyways. It forced recorders to essentially adapt, right? It really set the tone for recorders, sound recorders to use louder instruments, um, such as like, you know, the trumpet, the, tr- the trombone, etc. It also forced recorders to arrange themselves strategically in their like setting or space where they're recording the sound to, you know, properly record a quality sound. And it's funny, it's funny that this is kind of how it spawned the sound recording era because the when you think of the definition of acoustics or acoustic the definition is as follows the properties or qualities of a room or building that determine how sound is transmitted in it it's also the branch of physics concerned with the properties of sound so you can argue that the definition when you always hear some you hear all time from time to time when you know, especially in like big sports arenas and stuff like, oh, like the acoustics of this building, the sound really passes through this building. Well, that stems from the acoustic era and specifically like how you set up things in order to transmit sound at a high quality. The electrical era also brought in some crazy changes and was an important era in the history of sound production and recording. At this point, electrical microphones, amplifiers, and recording or recorders were introduced into the marketplace. I'm using a microphone right now. The electrical era is the reason things like podcasting, things like public address announcing, etc. And I'll get to that in a second. But we all use microphones in some sort of way to communicate. And I think it's been especially amplified, no pun intended, during the pandemic when we've had to go to Zoom meetings and uh, be more a little more virtual. Microphones have allowed us to communicate to a degree even when we can't physically be present with others. During the electrical era, basically what happened was a hybrid process in sound recording was essentially introduced. This helped people filter, capture, and balance sound electronically rather than manually as we saw in the acoustic era. This improved fidelity, again, it's the quality of the sound, created a sort of wider frequency and sound range for sound recorders. And it also actually created a new job that is very prevalent today in the music industry. That is the audio engineer, where their job is to capture a fuller, richer, and more detailed and balanced sound on record using multiple microphones connected to multi-channel electronic amplifiers. So long story short, this era created jobs, it created a new technology that is still used today. 
and like I mentioned, this era, it set the tone essentially for the broadcast sort of boom of the early 1900s where you were able to get on radios, you were able to public address announce things. There was home record players. Instruments also took a step forward here in music. Guitars and string basses, so essentially like instruments that didn't have the sound capabilities that, you know, I mentioned the trombones and the trumpets of the acoustic era. They didn't have the capability back then, but with electronic amplification, guitars and string basses and, you know, more quieter instruments, so to speak, were able to compete now with like the trumpets and the trombones. So I think this actually played a really important role in the history of music in general. And, you know, we look at the classic rock era, guitars are able to capture a much, large, a much larger sound now. And that's how you can kind of distinguish the acoustic versus the electric guitar. And like I mentioned too, the electrical era set the tone really for being able to have mediums such as podcasting, have mediums such as music in general, right? It, it really brought music from, you know, and I use this term with Michael Jordan last show, but obscurity to relevance. It created a new wave um, of music that and sound in general that we were never nev we never were able to hear before. Then came the magnetic era. This was considered the third wave in the development of audio recording, and it really kind of stemmed from World War II. This is kind of where sound recording in general really just took off technology-wise. This is where there was sort of the introduction of tape recordings and essentially improving the sound to a point where you can record for an extended period of time and also record sort of multi-track recordings. So this actually was a, a pretty monumental point in history in terms of the music industry because this helped provide sort of a template for albums. And I mean, when you, when you think about albums nowadays, albums are a compilation of multiple sound recordings. And that would not have been made possible without the magnetic era and essentially the idea of tape recording using magnetic tape. So think about the magnetic tape. And this is why it was called the magnetic arrows because magnetic tape was used to tape record sound and essentially create these multi-track compilations that also allowed sound engineers to be able to actually edit and alter sounds that were catched, captured on magnetic tape versus like actual like disc recordings. So this created a level of sound editing and recording that you were able to actually like edit, capture, and essentially record for like a long period of time. This also came in the form of sort of disc reproductions and you, you think about long play discs, right? The LPs, tape recorders, cassettes, etc. This is where it really started. And in terms of technical technological advancement, the magnetic era made sounds that just weren't possible uh, on in older eras. In fact, according to Wikipedia here, it fueled a rapid and radical expansion in the sophistication of popular music and other genres. It allowed composers, producers, and engineers and performers to realize previously unattainable, unattainable levels of complexity. So the magnetic era was essentially really innovative when it came to discovering new, new ways to capture sound, but also to produce sound, right? And I think that's super important and underappreciated and something that needs to be noted is that in evolution, in world evolution in general, there are monumental points in history 
that set the tone for the next era. I think the magnetic era here really helped set the tone for creating these masterpieces that now we like to call today songs. With the advances in technology being able to capture and just create these sounds that were groundbreaking at the time that maybe we wouldn't appreciate as much today but they were groundbreaking at the time and that's something that has to be paid attention to i think especially in this era one last thing i think that needs to be paid attention to from this era also was the idea of portability as i mentioned earlier tape cassettes long play discs etc this is kind of where it started and when you think about portability it's something that nowadays i don't think is appreciated as much right you can you think about it, your phone is basically a supercomputer nowadays. It's small enough that it'll fit in your pocket. But back in those days, right, you got to think about how heavy and cumbersome a lot of these sound recording equipment was. I mean, these were big contraptions that took a great degree of human strength and human energy to, you know, haul around. And this is the era that made it possible to record a sound save the sound and be able to bring it somewhere else like that's not even like a thought nowadays just with the ability to save things on the cloud you have google drive you have microsoft sharepoint all this stuff but this was a legitimate issue for people back in the day and this was so groundbreaking and instrumental to the future of sound recording and being able to share things with others with at a relatively quicker pace than before just thinking about the fact that you can compile all your sound recordings into a relatively smaller medium, the, the cassette or the long play or whatever, and bring it to someone else and share it with them is something that this era was able to bring to the limelight. And it's something that is so instrumental in a world nowadays where information is exchanged at such a high speed. Um, this this is ground zero for where it really started, at least in the sound game. So shout out the Magnetic Era. This was uh, definitely a, a big point in history. So our last stop on our tour of the history of sound recording includes the Digital Era. The Digital Era is basically where digital sound coding replaced prior sort of recording technologies. So it all just turned towards more digital mediums and less sort of physical mediums that kind of reduced the clutter for essentially recording sound. This also reduced the idea of having to have a continuous analog when recording your sound. There was an ability to actually combine samples, which again, as we saw over the years, there was the ability to create sort of sounds that you were never able to sort of engineer or hear before that you were just able to hear now in the digital era. The digital era also brought forth some groundbreaking technologies when it comes to, again, portability and being able to compile your audio files onto one portable means to basically distribute around. That was the compact disc. For all my 2000s millennials, we all know and remember the CD, the beautiful compact disc, where basically you carry these bad boys around, throw them in the CD player in your car or whatnot. But this was a groundbreaking technology at the time. There was no fidelity loss with CDs because CDs were laser read. If you know how a CD player works, basically a laser will read the CD where there's no actual physical contact with the record player, ensuring basically that it won't reduce the fidelity of the sound. As we went further into the digital era, audio files 
and audio file sharing, such as like iTunes files, MP3 files, really kind of dominated the, the sound game. And, and to this day, it's really the gold standard for sharing audio files and really distributing your files. We see Apple and Spotify nowadays. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about Fruity Loop Studio last time. These are all ways in which audio files can be distributed, but also created. So that's sort of the digital era in a nutshell. Um, this is where kind of where we are today. So I don't think I can actually hop back into this episode without again bringing up the fact that I have a friend who produces beats. Uh, shout out to you again. This is obviously a sound recording episode and part of the reason I decided to do this uh, topic was that T and I actually had a, a conversation over the weekend about my podcast and about some of the beats that I've used so far and if he can make some future ones, which he says he's going to make some future ones by the way, so those are on the way. One thing that I kept getting, I was getting, a, I was, I was talking with some people close in my circle about what I can do to improve the podcast, what I can do, you know, any questions that you might have had from the first episode. And one question that a few people, uh, and in particular, my mom asked me was, love you, mom. Where did the origins of T-Block come from? Because I did mention that T-Block was sort of a thing. For my listeners, uh, T-Block is the name of our quote-unquote pseudo-music group. We're called the T-Block Dollar Squad, T-Block Music Group. It's named after Thorncliffe, a neighborhood in Edmonton where uh, a few of the boys went to junior high school. As mentioned, T, T Dallas, my boy Matt Monroe, he's the executive producer, and I'm more or less just the pseudo-president slash his manager at this point, so... That's sort of the origins of the story, but I think in particular uh, a funny, I'll, I'll mention a funny T-Block story on this episode, but I gave you all the story about the origins of T-Block and kind of the iPod Touch garage band diss track origins originally, but I think the peak of our pridefulness, I guess, when it comes to being quote-unquote record producers was, I think it was like grade 10, and I mean, like our, our friend group uh, has like a very niche sense of humor and has you know, some these really weird things that we find funny. I mean, we, we send each other memes all the time and stuff like that. But in particular, there was a, a point in time in grade 10 where we'd take like random YouTube videos or like random, just like popular culture samples, I guess. So like you think about like Crazy Frog, there's just random things that like were somewhat viral on the internet. But we ended up taking like one time a random video on youtube and it was a video of like this like middle-aged suburban father he was reviewing his son's nerf gun collection and i don't know why we just thought it was so funny but basically uh, t ended up remixing this video into like an actual trap beat and you can actually still find it on soundcloud like it's legitimately still on soundcloud and it's i think the most liked song and played song on his soundcloud account to this day but the remix actually like turn into like a semi banger like in West Edmonton and for my listeners who maybe aren't from Edmonton or whatnot or don't really know me like West Edmonton's like my hood I grew up in West Edmonton went to school there you know elementary junior high high school all in the West End that's my roots that's my hood 
And that's where the legitimate real T-Block Thorncliffe is uh, actually located. My buddy Matt, it's not the same Matt that produces these beats, but another one. He mentioned, and he can verify this story, but I do recall him mentioning to me one time that he was at a party in grade 10. And he actually like heard this song like playing at this party. And like people were actually kind of like Josh into it a little bit. So T, I think you can pat yourself on the back for knowing that you did make a legitimate banger that semi blew up in the West Edmonton community. So good on you, buddy. You deserve it. So shifting gears here in this episode, and one thing I really want to do here before I finish this episode is obviously I I always make a promise and make a pledge to keep my listeners ears to the streets. I mentioned I'm a a huge hip hop head and love the trap music, love producers, love uh, all that. And one thing in particular and I mentioned this on Akeem's show as well. One thing in particular that I pr- really do enjoy when it comes to listening to rap music is producer tags. And in particular, I think that's a super underappreciated portion of music that doesn't get a ton of love. But a producer tag is almost like it's like a cherry on top. When the producer tag is like so well placed in a beat. It actually like adds an element to to that song that makes it just like even better for me. It can honestly make a song for me sometimes. Like when I hear like a well placed producer tag, I'm just like, holy shit, this is about to fucking bang. So I figured a, a good way to again, just sort of in relation to this producer tag talk and all this was explore some of my favorite producers and uh, a little bit about their backgrounds and a little bit about who they are because producers and sound engineers don't get a lot of love in the music industry. I mean, when you really think about it, most of the love and the accolades go towards the main artist when it comes to awards and accolades and all this stuff, right? It's always about the main artist. But if you actually go and look at song credits, album credits, etc., like, and you actually like go into the background of how albums are produced, how songs are produced, it's not a one-person show by any means. There are hella names on those credits. Like, There's at least a good 9 to 10 names that you'll usually see on these credits. And one particular underappreciated name that doesn't get a lot of love is producers. They're the ones that honestly make the magic happen, when, especially like in trap and, trap and rap music, where a lot of it is like production, right? Just as much as it is about lyrics and flow and stuff, a lot of it is also production. And the sound engineers and producers are the ones that actually like put all this shit together. One thing I'm well known for is how much of a huge Drake fan I am. Drake is without a doubt my favorite artist in the world. I listen to his music legitimately like nonstop all the time. And he will, yeah, he, he will go down as probably my favorite artist ever. Drake has produced music in the past, but he has also collaborated with a ton of producers over his career, but there's no producer he's collaborated with more than OVO's own in-house producer, Forty. Forty is also a former child actor from Toronto, so he comes from a very similar background to Drake. But his producing style, and again, I'm quoting Wikipedia here because what else do you do when you're doing research for a podcast, is his style of production is considered down-tempo and ambient. If you think about some of the songs, I'm going to name some of the songs that 40 has produced. 40 has produced a plethora of Drake's hits. Like a lot of Drake's most memorable songs are produced by 40. I'll name a few of them here for you. Hold on, we're going home. Just hold on, we're going home. As a side note, that's one of my favorite karaoke songs of all time. Like 
it doesn't matter like when this song is playing or where it's playing like i will sing along to this song and i will belt it to the top of my lungs that's just how much i love this song take care right i'll take care of you over fancy miss me one dance like i don't need a one dance uh nice for what god's plan laugh now cry later there is a healthy amount that was produced by 40 that have really just become so culturally relevant when you think about drake songs right they're they're in culture everywhere i don't think it's possible without 40s help right 40 is the guy that has curated these masterpieces into what they are so shout out to 40 um, you're definitely one of the producers that uh, i think is so instrumental in today's rap game so shout out to you man accolades also speak for themselves so i'm going to give a snapshot of 40s certifications awards etc he's had many songs go platinum he's had many songs go gold looking at his grammys and i have a bit of a bone to pick with the grammys i do really think to a degree that their nomination and awards process is corrupt and that's a conversation for another day i'll explore a little bit about that in a future episode but I will say that one thing about Grammys is that they still are a sign of accomplishment for artists to the general public. So let's talk about 40's uh, Grammy nominations. He has 18 Grammy nominations and he's won two of them. So he has quite the accolades and quite the resume. So shout out to you for that, man. Congratulations on your success. One other thing I will say about 40, and I think it's kind of an underappreciated part of his producing style, is I don't think he actually has a producer tag. Just thinking about Drake songs, like he usually doesn't use a ton of producer tags unless like it's, you know, he's collaborating with like a Wheezy or Take Heath or something or one of these producers that has a pretty notable tag. But I don't think 40 actually has one. I I can't think of one off the top of my head at least. So that's definitely unique in 40's style of producing. So good on you, man. You definitely deserve your flowers when it comes to being a mainstream producer in today's rap game the next producer i want to explore a little bit on this show and i've alluded to him a little bit already is take keith you've definitely heard for those who are well versed with trap music and whatnot you've definitely heard take keith's producer tag somewhere just for the purposes of the show just being conscious of my audience i'm not actually going to say his producer tag just because it does contain some profanity that is not my place to say but go ahead and take a listen to it it's in all these songs that he produces, if you're really curious. Um, he also does have a secondary tag, however, that is a little more clean. It is a sound clip of Drake saying, Take Keith is too hard. That was like my just really shitty attempt at recreating that. But anyways, Take Keith. Take Keith's produced some really big hits in recent years that you've definitely heard before. Most of them are related to Drake's songs. Uh, he does collaborate with some of the other artists, uh, big artists in the rap game. He has some songs with Lil Baby, Gunna, Travis Scott, Future, Quavo, DJ Khaled, Miley Cyrus even. Who else? Even Beyonce, the queen Beyonce. Lil Nas X, Polo G, Moneybag Yo, you name it. Uh, he does collaborate with a lot of big names uh, in the music industry today and some of his most notable songs that he's executively produced include uh, Sicko Mode by Travis Scott featuring Drake. Like Everyone knows that one. That, that song absolutely dominated 2018. Nonstop by Drake. Uh, this is my favorite Drake banger to this day. I always go crazy in the clubs when they're playing this one. This one's definitely one of my favorites on my rotation. Also in 2018 was Look Alive. 
uh, with Block Boy JB, right? Like 901 Shelby Drive. Needless to say, Take Heath was the executive producer on all three of these tracks, and he was on an absolute heater in 2018. Going into a little bit of his history, uh, Take Heath first published music to datpiff.com at a young age. Just as a side story, for all my rap historians out there, datpiff is where we all would get our music before, you know, the Apple Music's, before the Spotify's. You know, if anytime a, a mixtape was dropping, anything like that, at least for my era, Datpiff was where you went to get your mixtapes, and it's still to this day the authority in free mixtapes. Datpiff.com. I should actually uh, put like a Datpiff.com soundbite in here if it wasn't for copyright. Datpiff will always have a special place in my heart just because that was where it really, my love for hip hop really solidified. I mean, I always had a keen interest in it, but I think the fact that I was able to get like free mixtapes off this website legally. You know, at the time, this was kind of at the time where, like, you didn't have LimeWire anymore, FrostWire, any of that stuff. And, I mean, you were paying, I think, what, like, one twenty nine a pop for, like, a song on iTunes, which, that's a fucking ripoff in hindsight. I don't know why people ever even bothered paying for that. But that's where it all started was Datpiff. I mean, I downloaded so many mixtapes off that website back in the day. I might do an episode on my favorite albums and mixtapes. Uh, there's a difference between that, by the way. It was really funny just downloading songs off Datpiff because they were just littered with like DJ tags and like way too many. Like if you thought like DJ Khaled's annoying when he's on the on the mic, you should listen to some of these DJs that you hear on Datpiff mixtapes. Like there's this guy named DJ Drama, probably the most annoying DJ I think I've ever heard in my life, like way worse than DJ Khaled. And DJ Khaled gets a bad rep for like being super annoying on the track because he doesn't really provide anything of value besides a bunch of ad libs. Which, I do agree with that sentiment to a degree. But man, drama, DJ drama, I think is is even worse. I mean, for Khaled's sake, at least he's a funny enough dude that his ad-libs don't come across like as terribly annoying. Like, they are annoying for sure, but it's almost like you can laugh at them to a degree. and Because he's such, such a memeable dude. He's not like a guy that takes himself too seriously in the moment. So I can see... At least that's a defense for me for Khaled versus Drama, who just, he thinks he sounds like super hard and super good, but he actually legitimately sounds terrible. Like a guy will just be freestyling, you know, on a beat and he'll just add his ad libs at like the most inopportune time possible. And it just completely ruins the song for me. It's honestly hilarious. Like DJ Drama will, again, a rapper will be just freestyling on a beat or whatever. And then out of nowhere, you'll just hear DJ Drama or tell him or gangsta grizzles or some shit like that but anyways it's just hilarious and at the same time as much as i complain about this a datpiff mixtape would not be the same without those ad-libs on it so it's just sort of a unique factor that makes it unique in itself i guess so anyways that's what got me through my childhood and got me out of having to pay for my hip-hop so shout out to datpiff still and the really annoying djs that ad-lib over songs on it Totally got sidetracked there for a bit, but let's get back to Take Heath and finish off Take Heath here. Take Heath also has like hella gold and platinum records. Hell, he even has a diamond record with Sicko Mode. So this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, definitely one of my favorite producers right now. And again, whenever you hear that producer tag of his in particular, I, I pay attention. I, I definitely do pay attention to the beat a little more than I would uh, with just a, a regular song. So... Take Keith, welcome to the club of RC's favorite producers. 
The next producer on my list, and this will be the last producer for the episode, I don't want to turn this into another Mount Rushmore, is Metro Boomin. So again, for my producer tag enthusiasts out there, uh, his tag, he has two, I think. One of them is Metro Boomin wants some more. Uh, and then he has like Young Thug, I think it's Young Thug. And he's, Young Thug has very like distinctly like high voice sometimes, but it's like Metro. And then I think his most iconic one that I think everyone knows is it's future. And he's saying, if your Metro don't trust you, I'm going to shoot you. Damn, if I really could just put these actual sound bites in this so I didn't have to reenact these every time and face potential copyright issues. So you have to hear my shitty remakes of these instead. In my mind, Metro Boomin is one of the trailblazers when it comes to this sort of modern era of trap music. He was sort of the first, I, I wouldn't say the first one, but he was one of the biggest ones to do it when it came to just producing all these trap hits that you hear nowadays. In 2017... Forbes called Metro Boomin easily one of the most in-demand hitmakers in the world. He's also been described as one of the most original, vivid, and important voices in rap. To paint the picture for you, Metro Boomin has produced a shit ton of hits. Like you think like Take Heath did or like 40, like Metro Boomin in like this generation has produced a hell of amount of hits. Let me list them off for you. Tuesday by Ella McConan, like got the club going up. On a Tuesday, uh, Jumpman with Drake and Future, we all know that one. Mask Off by Future, come on, everyone knows that. The the flute, like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That was Metro Boomin, okay? That's Metro Boomin's work right there, at its best. Congratulations by Post Malone, everyone knows that one. And the song that dominated 2017, Bad and Bougie by the Migos. Those are just a few of his highlights. I can also think of Father Stretch My Hands by Kanye West. That's a, a big one that dominated 2016. Metro Boomin has been named a two-time BT producer of the year and best producer. So this guy knows what he's doing. When I think about Metro Boomin, he was the one that, again, we're going back to producer tags here, but I just have to. He's the one I think really popularized producer tags. Like he really made it sort of a mainstream thing. And if you just look at the numbers he's put out in terms of the amount of hits, the amount of platinum, gold, diamond, even just hits he's put out, it's LeBron level numbers. This guy's putting up triple doubles in the producing game like it's like it's the NBA out here. So Metro Boomin, you deserve your flowers, man. You're arguably I would argue that Metro Boomin is one of the best producers of this generation. He's made uh, a huge he's played a huge role into how trap music is perceived today so welcome to the club metro boomin you deserve it so i could definitely go a little more into uh, producers i could talk about producers and producer tags all day like that shit just fascinates the hell out of me it's just like how i last episode how i was talking about athletes and sports these this is another sort of topic niche topic that i just really enjoy and can talk about for forever but i don't want to bore you guys too much longer with uh, the same sort of talk. I think we've covered uh, a healthy amount today and a little bit of housekeeping items to close out the show. I just want to thank everyone again for taking the time to reach out to me and provide a lot of support and feedback when it comes to my first show. Uh, it does really genuinely mean a lot, so I thank everyone for that. You are a big reason why I'm going to keep going with this and why I enjoy doing what I do. 
few people have also actually asked me and have recommended that I do like a, I guess it'd be a bi-weekly if my episodes are going to be bi-weekly, but like a bi-weekly segment on my show. I'm not sure exactly how that would look like yet, but if anyone has any ideas on a potential segment I can do on this show as sort of a consistent way to, you know, maybe after I go into my big spiel on whatever topic I talk about to wrap up the show, I'm kind of brainstorming right now. I'm not sure yet exactly what that is going to be. Um, some examples that I can think of off the top of my head would be like drafting like a top five. I know uh, I listen to the JJ Reddick podcast. It's a basketball podcast. I listen to that all the time. And one thing they do on that show from time to time is they draft their top five, whatever subjects at the end of the show. So that's kind of just like an idea of what I'm thinking, but, or well, sort of an idea that I'm just throwing out there, but I want something that's kind of unique as well. So if you have any ideas, feel free to reach out, send me a DM and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But until next time, Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Show Up and Show Out podcast. I'll see y'all in two weeks. Until then, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your St. Patty's Day. Have a beer on my behalf, like maybe a green beer. You have some wings with that. And as always, tap in soon. RC out.